Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 this morning. If you have your scriptures in paper or on your device, our ushers have a Bible to follow along if you need one. If you just slip up your hand, if you happen to forget yours today or accidentally leave it someplace, they'll be glad to get you a Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, thank you very much for worshiping with us, college and career gals, this morning. familiar text to many of us, but new to some of us, and very, very helpful as we prepare our hearts to hear from heaven this morning. Let's look uh, together and begin to read in verse 3. Let's get right to it, all right? Uh, verse number 3. Again, if you need a Bible, keep your hands up high, and we'll make sure you get you one, we'll get you one okay? Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And verse number three. What advantage does man have in all of his work which he does under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. Also, the sun rises and the sun sets, and hastening to its place, it rises there again. Blowing towards the south and turning towards the north, the wind continues swirling along and on its circular courses, the wind returns. All the rivers flow into the sea and the sea is not full. All the place where the rivers flow, there, there they flow again. All things are wearisome. Man is not able to tell it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is that which will always be, and that which has been done is that which will be done. So there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one might say, see, this is new? Already it has existed for ages which were before us. There is no remembrance of earlier things and also of the latter things which will occur. There will be for them no remembrance among those who will come later still. Now, if you're just going to have a simple reading of this text, I'm, I'm sure that you would gain some, if you're walking with the Lord, uh, you would gain some some, uh, some basic wisdom about life here. The tendency is, if we don't understand the greater context that we've been reviewing in the last several weeks, you could look at this text uh, quite pessimistically with a negative disposition. But remember, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes was read publicly during the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a time of joy to celebrate the faithfulness and the character of God. So when properly understood, with the 17 times that joy is mentioned in the book, we understand that when we fear God and keep His commandments, we are to live joyfully in this world, regardless of what we endure through in this world, and sometimes we are faced with thought patterns that can rob that joy. And really what we see here in verses 3 through 11 
are four different potential thought patterns that can rob us of our joy when we try and to persevere and live fearing God and keeping his commandments. We called them joy thieves or joy robbers uh, last week. Now, we're going to look at two different ways the world would approach these thought patterns. We're going to look at them positively and negatively, and then we're going to look at how does a believer approach these thought patterns. I think there's some understanding of mere human wisdom that needs to be had here, because even as believers, we might find ourselves falling prey to that human wisdom, either positively or negatively. And then we have to just arrest our thoughts, if you will, when we're just thinking according to mere human wisdom, and if it's not leading us back to a joyful life, or a life centered on God and keeping his commandments, then we've got to stop for a moment and meditate and consider how we're going to make our way back to living according to the Lord and his commandments with joy. Okay? So the thoughts that Solomon gives us here right, are joy-robbing thoughts. Remember, he's writing this after he comes back to the Lord. He's walking in fellowship with the Lord, and he's putting out here four different ways that mere human wisdom just looks at the world, and he puts them here to remind us that we're not to live our lives according to mere human wisdom, but to elevate our minds to think eternally in a spiritual fashion. If you go back through these verses on your own time, I would encourage you to underline every time a reference to creation is made. You probably noticed that. Over 10 different times a reference is made to creation, whether it be the sun or the earth itself, the wind or the blowing of the wind, the flow of the rivers, the sea. I think we need to examine why there's so many references to creation in this text because the references to creation here made by Solomon, our teacher, are referenced here with good wisdom as to how man merely looks at what's around him. Man would look at these references to creation in a very specific way. Bible tells us that God causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall upon both the righteous and the wicked. We know the purpose behind creation for a believer, right? Psalm 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows forth his handiwork. We know from Romans chapter 1 that creation has its place in the thought processes of man and God has given us the faithful order of creation to draw our eyes heavenward to him and then ultimately to his word in Psalm 19, 7 to 14. But how does the world, which also enjoys the sun and the rain and the rivers and the sea, how does the world look at those things with mere human wisdom, either positively or negatively? We'll analyze that and again, find our way back to godly wisdom in relationship to these things. So Solomon's language here highlights the ever-consistent patterns of creation. 
as we head towards understanding what one author of Scripture calls the pleasures of life being tested in this section of Scripture, we must approach life and its good things with some heavenly wisdom, some good reason. If you recall from last week, Solomon taught us that nothing in life is meaningless. Vanity is vanity, all is vanity does not mean that life is meaningless. It means that it's brief and is to be lived with the intentions of God. It's never meaningless. If we love God and keep His commandments, that only they can truly help us enjoy life. And left to ourselves, we can find temporary happiness, but never ultimate fulfillment. So yes, life is to be lived with joy as we trust the Lord, but this joy is to be maintained as we live life with a proper perspective of thought and philosophical approach to life, if you will. And nature gives us a perspective here. Long before you and I were ever born, the sun, wind, rivers, and seas functioned according to the way that they were created. Would you agree? Would you also agree that long after we're gone, they're going to continue to do the same? That's simple. Noting Solomon's mention of creation here is critical, if only for the fact that man realizes his transitory nature. In other words, he's quickly come into this world and he's going to be quickly removed from this world. When man looks at creation without the eyeglasses of God, if you will, he looks at life as temporary and somewhat meaningless in a negative fashion. But he can also look at it in a positive fashion. Since life is short, I'm going to go get all I can get for me now. So if he's a go-getter, he's going to look at it with that kind of wisdom. And if he's someone given to depression or melancholy, he's going to look at it and going to say, the monotony was here before I came. The repetition of nature was here before I came. It's going to be here long after I'm gone. Oh, well, what's my life worth anyway? So again, human wisdom looks at this two different ways. Life is to be lived with joy, though, and purpose according to the will of God. And this joy is only maintained as we remember that life is brief and life is quickly passing away. So we have a short time to live it correctly with divine wisdom, which we'll look at here in just a little bit. Again, simply stated, the view at the consistent patterns of creation should remind us of our purpose for living. Solomon is saying, if you look at nature in a merely fallen way, you will find life to be not just short-lived, but somewhat pointless. I'll go get all I can get now, but it's over, or I'll, wow, what's the point of going to get all I can get now? Because it's so brief and, and I have no meaning. You might say, well, I've been made a little lower than the angels. Why do inanimate things, things without life, seem to relentlessly function in a uniform way and my life is full of twists and turns and, and disappointments? Well, that's a human way to look at what Solomon's saying here and he's giving us the human thought patterns here so that we avoid them so that we can live in joy. And why does man vanish and, and nature endures? What's the use then? 
What do men achieve for all their sweat, worry, and stress? What then is life itself and its point? As we continue, we'll see Solomon's mention of creation here from God's viewpoint. Creation is not to show us that God is just merely faithful and that our lives are brief, but we have a short time to live them with a joyful disposition according to his word. One author said, The Christian life is as much about living faithfully in light of the present God-given reality as it is about waiting expectantly for the dawning of a new reality that God will one day initiate. We said last week that life's affected by sin, isn't it, right? It's affected by sin in general. Even the rocks cry out, creation cries out for release from the effects of sin. Romans chapter 8 tells us. It's affected by our own sin. Sometimes we have self-inflicted trials that we've brought in our own lives for our, uh, for our spiritual indecision, if you will, uh, inappropriate decision-making. And sometimes our lives are affected by and ravaged by the sin of somebody else. Our old world is just saturated with the effects of sin. Remember what we said last week, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. There's only one thing that can, that can counteract, that can really overwhelm the effects of sin in this world, and that's the overwhelming grace of God in Jesus Christ. The only thing that's going to make sense out of the effects of sin in this world is the grace of God. We live by faith, not by sight. Faith in the Son of God allows us to, yes, look around, but certainly look up a whole lot more than we look around and evaluate what's going on in his creation. And folks, i got to be honest with you. I, I struggle with the thought patterns here that Solomon says that mankind in general struggles with. I struggle with the whys of life. I struggle with a lot of things, probably that you do too. I was at an opportunity to preach to 80 different representations from 80 different churches in the Midwest yesterday in, in the Chicago area. And uh, the one pastor stood up and he said, pray for us because our governor is now considering following suit with Virginia and New York when it comes to the slaughtering of babies after they're born. And my heart sinks, and it goes, what in the world? <laughs> what in the world, you know? How in the world can we, can we be in a culture like we have, and, and now we're slaughtering babies inside the womb, and even now after they're born, we're even, or we're even considering it. People wouldn't do this to their pets. This is insanity. So you do feel like I do. So what's the point? The sun rises, the sun sets, the river, so the Chagrin River's always flown into, or, 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 or flowed into Lake Erie. The Mississippi always into the Gulf. Lake effect snow always comes it always goes. When I rake my leaves and I'm done 
and the wind blows five minutes later the yard's full again it just is monotony it's just nuts it's what's gonna be is gonna be and we can't seem to change it and not only it's a consistent it just seems to be getting worse and Solomon's saying that's the kind of thinking that you're not to have that's the thinking of mere human wisdom and he's outlining for us here mere human wisdom and he's saying I fell into that pattern when I was not walking with God and now that I'm walking with God, I've got to wrestle my mind back to him and what ultimately is joy in proper thought processes, okay? So we find four ways to make sure to live life with purpose in verses 3 through 11. We outlined those four thought patterns last week and we'll remind you of those here in just a moment. Solomon offers these four ways in which we can approach life so life does not rob our joy. We've got to identify the bad thought patterns so that we can avoid them, right? Although he does this in somewhat of a negative way, his intent is to remind us that it is our fallenness in which we have a tendency to view life with a negative mindset. He says in verse 3, guard yourself against the life's not worth it. Or life has, as one pastor friend of mine called, a, a zero profit. Zero profit. What does it say in verse 3? What do we guard ourselves against here in mere human wisdom in verse 3? What advantage does man have in all of his work? Which he does under the sun. The world has an eat, drink, and be happy for tomorrow you die viewpoint, and it can be quite fatalistic. They say grab what you can, even when it comes to their vocation. Get it while it's hot, so to speak. They'll grab life by the throat because they can know their life is short, and they want to get all they can while they can. Many unbelievers don't even come to the point in their life where they see the life's not worth it, but many do. And so do many Christians. And mere, the mere human tendency is to think in the world's more lucid moments these thoughts. Where's the value in that degree that I got in which I got this job? What's the ultimate value of that promotion I got in my job? Or that possession I got from that increase in pay? What's the ultimate value in my 401k anyway? I've labored for all these years, for all these things... For what? And the tendency is when you get older, right? When you get 45, 55, 65, 75, you start thinking this way more often. When you're 15 to 25, and 25 to 35, you're like, let's go get this. And as you get older, it's kind of like, the great so what? So I have a little money to leave my kids. What value of that is if they're not living godly anyway? Right? Right? What value is in all this I have stored up? And even Christians can be great hoarders instead of great givers. We're taught by our westernized society, right? Work so you can retire. And live off that which you've hoarded. 
so that you can continue to live. And so you do that, and it's great. You might even be able to buy a couple houses in a couple special places you like on the continent and go live there and enjoy that. Well, good. Well, so what? My job got me all of this. The sun's still going to rise and set when I'm gone, and I'm going to be done. What's the point in all this? That's, that's mere human wisdom. When you look at it from a godly perspective, your disposition, your attitude changes. Man says, what advantage was all this work which we do under the sun? And then you think of it from a Christian perspective, And you come to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And you trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not under your understanding. All your ways acknowledge him. And, and he'll direct your paths. And that sounds a lot like 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether a man eats or drinks or whatever he does, he's to do it to the glory of God. And it sounds like Philippians 1, 21, right? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Which reminds me of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We've got this treasure of Christ in this earthen vessel. And while I live, while I go to work, which is a significant portion of my life existence, 40 hours to 70 hours a week, while I live and while I go to work, I now go to work not merely to have things, to have investments, they have necessities that are all temporal. I now realize I go to work. There's Genesis 3, Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, 1 Peter chapter 2 commands us to go to work, but to go to work for a much higher reason than why man merely goes to work. I go to work not just out of mere obedience to the Lord and the resources he gives me from work, I now need to use joyfully for his eternal purposes. Life does not have a zero profit. Mere human wisdom would look at it that way. But for those who know Christ, our vocation is not just about the pursuit of the accumulations of a lifetime. But it's about the accumulations of a lifestyle unto an eternal purpose. I think the Lord Jesus Christ references that in Luke 16 in the parable of the unjust steward where he highlights that man's creativity. Right? The guy's going to get fired from his job. And he knows that. So he goes to all of his bosses, friends, and other businesses who owe his, his boss money. And he gives them all a discount of their debt to his boss so that when he does have his last, when he punches out for the last day of work, he's going to have friends for employment who can always have a job. If Jesus gives that parable. It's not a true story. It's a parable. But it's a story given to us for our spiritual purpose. He said, you're going to go to job, Christians, you're supposed to go to work and you're supposed to make money. That's 
my body I've given you. That's my job I've given you. Those are my resources I've given you through that job. And Christians, why don't you just think about being as creative as the unjust steward was? About how you're going to use, he says in the text, unrighteous mammon for eternal purposes. How are you going to use the resources that you've gotten through this job to make, he says there, make friends for eternity? So the ultimate purpose of going to work, what advantage does man have in all of his work? Solomon's saying is if you just look at the work without an eternal perspective, you will go get life and live life in materialism or you'll live life in depression because you're just living life for the job's sake and he's saying avoid that kind of thinking but if you go to work with an eternal perspective it changes the whole look out the windshield doesn't it every red cent you get direct deposited from your check into your account certainly take care of your needs but until what end certainly have a car until what end it's always eternal in purpose for those who know jesus so i'll ask you if you're living life according to god's word in view of your vocation your job are you joyful or are you falling into, or have you fallen into, man's perspective of how they view their job? This is senseless. This is monotonous. What's the value in it anyway? Or I'm just going to go keep getting all I can get because I got a short time. And my wanter just keeps heating up. I want, I want, I want, and I'm going to go get, get, get. Both are temporary philosophies. But governed by the Holy Spirit, how does that change your thinking? For you Christian hoarders out there, have you thought about how this might change your thinking? We're all hoarders in some way or another. And whether you've been in the Word and walking in the Spirit or not, even if you're walking in the spirit, should I say, just really want you to think about this. How much do you really need to live on anyway? If we can evaluate all that's God's anyway, because he's purchased us with the shed blood of his son, how much do you really need anyway? And how much more can we invest in making friends for eternity if we just thought about it? If we really believe that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, if we really believe that we could take unrighteous mammon and invest it to make friends for eternity, boy, that even plays out tonight, doesn't it? On an outreach Sunday night. Or I could buy a coffee or I could buy a dinner for a friend of mine in town who needs Jesus. It has a lot to do with how we look at our portfolio, doesn't it? I sat with my investment guy. I started putting funds away, I think, when I was 42. 
the first decade of our, of our marriage, I was bivocational here for 18 years. So the first decade of our marriage, I was just not making enough money to even meet our needs. So um, I had to go into debt even to pay our rent and to put food on the table while I was working two jobs. So the second decade of our marriage, you're pretty much spent, you know, paying off your credit cards, right? Right? You pray and pray and pray that God would meet your needs, and, and he does, but sometimes we had to use a credit card to meet the needs. Right? I heard stories of people that said, well, we didn't have anything in the cupboards, and, and, and we prayed and waited for God to said something, and and lo and behold, we got a knock at the door. We didn't have anything to eat for dinner. We got a knock on the door. And, and my dad told the story when he was in Bible college. And there was a, an envelope on the doorstep. And it had $150 in it. They didn't have anything in their cupboards. So I tried that a few times in my marriage. <laughs> nothing in the cupboard. Nothing to eat. We prayed. Wait for the knock to come. Prayed a little more, right? Wait for the knock to come. Well, you did it for Mueller, Lord. You did it for my dad. For heaven's sakes, remember Jack Lego's story about not having any money for food and he was taking a window out in his home? Remember that story? And out fell a $20 bill from inside the window frame. Why does that, how does that happen? I thought about going to my apartment and starting to take out windows. Right? I would go to my door. I, honestly, I'm telling you the truth. I would open the door to see if there's an envelope on the doorstep. I'd pray some more. Lord, you want me to take out a ceiling fan? You want me to go change my tire? You know, maybe a 50 fell in the tire well when they were... All these things would go through my head. You said you would provide. And you know what? He always did. But sometimes for me, it just was, you got to go out and had to use a credit card. Well, you were a poor steward. I didn't have any debt except for that. I wasn't a poor steward. I was living in the smallest apartment I could find. Right? I suppose I could have lived out of my car and had money for food. But I don't think my father-in-law would have liked that. <laughs> Start investing when you get 42 right? Your debt's paid off. You start investing, and, and now you start talking with your finance guy about, wow, what's your number need to be, right? You talk to your finance guy, the, the wealth management guy, right? I always thought that was funny when he to me. <laughs> it's just like, you're going to have to change your title if you're going to talk to me about wealth, because I ain't got none, you know? I mean, I don't even know if I'm supposed to come to you, because you just deal with wealth, right? I don't have that, so, <laughs> you know? But he said, still come. He's a great, wonderful, sweet guy. So this last time, I'm 51 now, and I think for 9 to 10 years, I've had the opportunity to invest, and, and, and I thank God for that. And, and uh, so we sat down recently. He goes, so what does your number need to be? And my number for what? Well, your number so you can retire and, and, and do things. And I'm thinking, okay, I'll talk about my number and what else I need to put in, what additional I need to put in to get to that point so when I hit that 65, 66, I can do what? I can retire and then do what? Right? Go to Florida for six months a year. Yay, raw. Okay, that's cool. Get out of the cold. For what? Right? 
It's all temporary. All the human wisdom Solomon is saying here, all the four what's in relationship to your job are all temporary. And he's saying, that's not the way to view life. It's not the way to view your job. It's much more meaningful than that. If you even go to work those hardest hours of the week, if you even go to work prayerfully and intentionally to answer an eternal why, why am I even going to work? Someone governed by the commandments of God. The end of all things is this, right? Remember, verse 12, chapter 13, fear God and keep his commandments. Now that we know the word of God, even New Testament applications this, how in the world do we approach even our job outside of mere human wisdom? Why am I going to do what I'm going to do? And then when I find out this, I said, well, the conclusion we came to, I'm just going to be transparent because I, I could care less, right? So he, he talked about getting to a level of investment where I could have $1.6 million stored up when I retire. All right, I said, okay, that's fine. I don't think I can do that, but let's, let's have fun with this, right? How is this going to happen? I said, so what kind of interest does $1.6 million give to me if I can go this path? Who goes, well, you'll have about $60,000 a year of interest, 55 to 60, if he says the market stays relatively stable. I was like, oh, okay. So by then, my house is going to be paid off. All my heavy eaters are gone. <laughs> I have no debt. I tithe, I don't know, I think right now we're about 13, 15% a year. That's easy. What am I going to do with all that? Do I really need 1.6? What am I going to do with that? So what happens if I kick the bucket the day after I retire? My kids are like going, I don't know what to do with 1.6 million dollars. <laughs> Trust me, Dad, we're good. Right? But... <laughs> And I'm thinking scripturally, what's their job? The Bible says their job is to go get a job. Right? Nope. <laughs> Jimmy always gets the most profound truths of scripture. He so would have been pastor teacher. So, so, Okay, I, 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 I'm not trying to be irreverent here. I'm not trying to be impractical. Right? I'm just trying to look at what, how Solomon says human wisdom looks at things. Build for what? Build for what? The sun rises, the sun falls. What's the profit in going to work? And we think about profit from how we think about profit. And we miss what it means to obey God and keep his commandments in no joy. Everything's got to ascend to obedience and joy. And what's the best way a believer can have joy? And the fruit of going to work. Everything is God's anyway. It's got to be invested for eternity. It's got to be. It's okay. The Bible talks about leaving an inheritance for your kids. Do it. But should we leave them so much where they're tempted not to work? 
Because the Bible tells them to work. We just kind of, I'm just wrestling through this with you. I'm just being Tim for a little bit here. And my computer just died anyway. I have no more notes. <laughs> All right. So I suppose this is where we're going to end today. I think there's a balance in all this, right? Investing's wise. The Bible talks about that. Living off the fruit of that work is wise. The Bible talks about that, right? God calls work good. Work was in the world before sin came into the world. You understood that, right? Adam and Eve were to work the garden. It just became a little bit more tough after sin came into the world, right? We are to provide. The Bible says if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. The Bible says if a believing man doesn't work and can't provide for his family, he's worse than an infidel. Wow, okay, wow, so we got to work, right? But why? I work so the souls in my family can know Jesus. They've got to have their needs taken care of so they can look to Jesus. I work so that you folks can be nourished in the word and shepherded. I work so that my friends in the community, I'll have some resources to spend on them so I can tell them about Jesus. I work so that when I die, the resources God gave me can exclusively be invested for eternity. It takes some adjustment for a little bit. Maybe, maybe for a whole week here for some of us. Me included. It's all that God's given me through work. Am I creatively thinking as much as the unjust steward is to, is to the why I have what I have or don't have what I don't have? Time is short. It is. Life is vanity. But being governed by a biblical theology of work and things, I'm going to find my way away from mere human wisdom and allow my mind and heart to be transcended to divine wisdom, and all that we have is God's, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are not your own. They're his. It's all his. So I'm just but a butler. I'm a steward of all that's his. And every red sense got to be into eternally developing my family, my church family, and reaching my community. So I'm able to have a paid-off house, and I'm able to have funds to live on without going to work. I'm going to go to work. <laughs> right? I'm going to go to work through the divine intentions of God's local church, whose chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ, whose head is Jesus Christ. I'm going to go to work. You know what? If you never get to the point, where you can retire in an American westernized way. The purpose for your work is no different. It's always still unto eternal ends through God's eternal means. So life is not of zero profit. 
for the believer, even work is never of zero profit. So as you go to work tomorrow morning, as you're going, pray. Lord, give me wisdom in a biblical fashion how I can bring a divine eternal reality of balance to my approach to work. And while I'm there, help me to lift up my eyes because the fields are white into harvest right around me. And if you're retired, find your way to eternal work. Go to work every day. It doesn't have to be for a paycheck. Use those excess funds to get to your local senior community center. Pay $4 for a three-course lunch. And while you're in line waiting to pay the three bucks, why don't you pay the three bucks of the person in front of you and behind you? And ask them to have lunch with you to be the light of Jesus with them and make some new friends. Everything we do is never pointless, meaningless, or merely endless. When we fear God and keep his commandments. You live like that, right? you'll go to work with joy whether you're going to work, work, or whether you're going to eternal work. It's all work unto eternal ends. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. We thank you for the warning of Solomon here. As the world would ask, what advantage does man have in all of his work which is done under the sun? We know the advantage. As we fear you and keep your commandments, we know. We know there's a divine spiritual balance to the approach of the resources that you've given to us. And may we together, individually and discipling and together as a church family, as we individually study the word on our own, as we hear it preached, and all the venues we have to saturate ourselves with the scriptures, we ask, Lord, for a collective corporate balance of wisdom of what it means to live in light of eternity in relationship to our vocation. Whether we're working, whether we're in early retirement, or whether we're in later retirement, may all of us work for the night is coming. as we enjoy your creation, as we enjoy leisure, as we enjoy these good gifts from your hand, may we always work in light of eternity. And may we invest in that same cause. Lord, we never feel like we've arrived. Paul's mindset in Philippians 3, I don't feel like I've arrived, he says, I won't arrive until I see the Lord Jesus. But this one thing I do, I forget those things that are behind and I press forward. Help us always to remember it's never too late to do right. Help us to rethink with the help of thy spirit according to your word what it means to go to work with eternity in view. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. take our black hymnals this morning and